Black voices are making an impact this month and beyond. Keep listening to discover one of our favorite shows, courtesy of ACAST Recommends. The corrupt powers that rule this nation are hard at work. They are trying to keep wages low and the rent high. They are quick to line the pockets of big businesses, but tell us they can't find a dime for the people. I understand this. I've seen the rot from the inside as a state senator, and it's ugly and widespread. On Unboss, we are working to change that. Every day on Unboss, we are bringing you the stories that really matter. We talk about power, corruption, justice, or lack thereof, and we break this down every weekday giving you the tools to give the power back to where it belongs with the people. I'm Nina Turner and I am unbought and unbossed. Listen to Unbossed on Apple Podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com Welcome to the Quick Stop F1 Podcast. My name is Nyasha and you could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with me. I appreciate that. I'm on my own today. Just me. I hope you guys, I know you lot don't really want that. I can see it in your eyes. I can hear the groans of disappointment. No, Tandy, where's Tandy? Tandy's not here today. Okay, but I'm here. And I'm asking you, if you're listening, leave us a review. Leave us a little five-star thing on Spotify. I'm going to read out some of the... Uh, some of the reviews we've got because they're lovely. Um, Beep Meacham says, best F1 podcast around. If you're looking for quality F1 content, look no further. Nyasha and Tandy offer insightful takes on everything from driver performance to track layout. Whether you're new to F1 or a seasoned fan, each episode is sure to leave you wanting more. What? <laughs> Round of applause for what? That is incredible. That's a lovely review. Um, who else we got here? Oh, Nilly. Nash and Tandy know what a fun podcast is about. I always look forward to new episodes. Huh? Have some of that. So look, if you're about, it really helps us. We are pretty much clear of the four-figure mark now on podcasts uh, and obviously clear of four figures on, on YouTube. And it's just incredible to think all you guys around the world are listening to us. So thank you. Um, today's episode... Is gonna get I get to tell you we've got some fucking sponsors now. Big up us, yeah. Hey, sponsorship. What are you mean? I mean So today's episode is sponsored by Fanatics. Fanatics are the official partner for the F1 merch store. So whether you support Mercedes, Red Bull, Ferrari, all of them man, you can get Everything on the Fanatic store from shirts, jumpers. I saw some mugs on there as well. Crazy. I might get myself a Mercedes mug. Anyway, use the link in the description below and, you know, get your stuff if you need it. And if you do that, then that helps us. So we're all helping each other. You get some sick merch. We get some sick, like, little affiliate thing. Everybody eats. That's all we want around here. So make sure you go out. Go out, go and check Fanatics, the official F1 store partner. And thank you for sponsoring this show. Much appreciated. So let's get into the show then. And joining me today on today's show is Sean Kelly. Now, Sean Kelly is 
the virtual stat man on Twitter, and his job is to essentially provide broadcasters with stats, and he does this live during the race. So you may hear certain times Crofty, basically he's Crofty's ghostwriter when it comes to stats, yeah? So just think of it like Crofty doesn't always write his own bars because he's got someone as cool as Sean Kelly to essentially feed in this information um, in real time sometimes. So the stats that he comes up with uh, are Sean. He does all of this for broadcasters before show and pre-show. So we had a cool chat about that. We had a cool chat about F1 in America. And we had a cool chat about why he was on the show because we basically quote tweeted him um calling him out <laughs> and to be fair to him he came on the show he explained um and i think it was a cool conversation and you know i think it's cool that he came on the show he didn't have to come on the show i think it's cool that you know he was able to just be as honest as possible i was able to be quite honest he was able to be quite honest and i think it was a good conversation i'd love to know what you guys think thank you guys for listening and yeah make sure you're subscribing and watching like the video if you've not done already oh wait okay here's sean (laughs) right today's guest has been working in f1 since 2004 is that correct 2004 All the stats that you see, or some of the stats that you see that are on broadcast, this guy has probably had a hand in creating them, of distributing them. Uh, we're very, very, very pleased to have man like Sean Kelly in the building. How are you doing? I hey, am excellent. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, <laughs> thank you, everybody. <laughs> thank you. Glad, to see, glad to see everybody stuck around for me to finally get here. Fashion. Yeah, no, thank you. Look, thank you. Look, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. And uh, quite funny how how we've ended up in this uh, conversation. I think we'll obviously we'll get into that later. But really cool for you to, to kind of reach out to us. Obviously, we're still a small platform, um, but I think people are really going to appreciate because you have a really cool job, first and foremost. Um, and as someone who I've been watching Formula One for a while now, like since the 90s, but um, a big part of the Formula One coverage is the stats. It's, you know, it, we, we work in a sport which is very heavily, uh, I'd say, statitized. That's not even a word, but... <laughs> but num- numbers driven, numbers driven, num- data driven. Like, that data driven there you go see that's why you're there and i'm here um but uh yeah very number driven so i guess as a summary i guess what is your role in uh bringing i guess bringing those numbers to to broadcast or or, or basically how do the numbers get from from you to us and i guess how do you how do you decide what comes to us and, and whatever well um for starters, I, I do it with F1 themselves, but I also do it for 16 of the domestic broadcasters. So wow. I've got a lot of plates going all at once when the cars are on the racetrack, um, wow. handling their, all their various requests and so on. But most of the job is actually quite tedious, um, as with all as with all uh, jobs that uh, might appear glamorous on the surface. There's a great deal of preparation away from that. You know, uh, three or four days of prep for each broadcast, for each yeah. Grand Prix weekend, um, creating a, a pack of information that will go to the broadcasters, 
um, that will go to the commentators, that will go to the graphics department and to the producers, and that will influence what the commentators talk about, what goes in the graphics, what um, the producers might want to make features about, um, and, and so on. So okay. um, a lot of it, a lot of it is it, it's it's largely perspiration rather than inspiration. Um, <laughs> but it's the same with a lot of things, isn't it? Like uh, for us, we just get serves these things and a lot of people might think oh they're all computer generated and it's just easy to kind of get to hand but there's obviously a lot of work that goes into getting it into a position where these broadcasters are able to just reel it off to us you know um in 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 the way that they are yeah a a lot of a lot of the reason why i'm still here after two decades (laughs) is because um the broadcasters can trust me they can say okay uh, sean has brought us this information that is this on on the basis of his past work we can trust with reasonable yeah. certainty that this we can put this on the air um so a good deal of it is still uh, as, as as data driven as it is yeah. <laughs> and as as you know uh, computer driven as it is there's still a great deal to be said for being able to trust the person who you're working with you know in terms of as i said you know well sean's given us this throw it out there and, and yeah. those of you who would watch uh, a Formula One race on Sky Sports, familiar with Crofty and his uh, obsession yeah. stats, which I greatly appreciate because it means he gets to use a lot of my material. Um, <laughs> but um, but he he will um, in the middle of a live broadcast. If I if I throw something to him, he will almost instantly spit it out. He won't very very rarely will he say, "Are you sure?" Yeah, he, he'll always say, "Okay, Sean so, says that's the thing, then that's the thing." So give an example, right? Let's say we're mid. Uh, okay, like let's say Saudi Arabia, right? We're we're mid Saudi Arabia, I guess. Um, what would be the type of thing that you would send up to Crofty and say, "Here's here's a stat." What do you think of that? Um, the best example in Saudi was actually in qualifying when okay. Perez put it on pole of instantaneously. Course. Oh, Perez has just set the record for the longest F one career without before taking his first pole position, two hundred fifteen oh. races, beating Mark Webber who had 130 starts for his first pole, or some yeah. pole in his 130 start. Um, and also, it's the first time a Mexican driver has been on pole position, which is 61 years after Ricardo Rodriguez was the first Mexican to race an F1, and he was on the front row on his debut. So it's taken 61 years to get one more place up the grid. So that's okay. instantly, like, put put that down now, while, before Perez even comes around to his interview. Wow, look, I want to give you a gunshot for that. That was incredible. I was like watching the broadcast. Um, but I guess one of the things when I was doing my research uh, was that um, people do, I, 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 like you said, like you've kind of mentioned, and you've just kind of shown that as much as you are like a, a numbers guy, a data-driven guy, there is a real passion for the sport and there is a lot of, I guess an ability for you to pull information just off the top of your head, I guess. Um, has that something, has that always been, I mean, I guess you've worked in, in F1 for a while now, but was that always something that came easy to you, this ability to remember things and reel it off? Or is it just the case that because of you've, you've just been knee deep in this work for, you know, nearly 20 years now, um, that it's just something that's second nature to you now? It's a combination of both, I would say. Um, yeah. Before before I worked in it, before 2003, I, I watched Formula One since I was six. So my first season was 1987. Okay. Um, I've only missed two races in that time. So it was wow. always, I was always one of those fans around 
you know, the F1 calendar, my life revolved around what the F1 calendar was. Yeah. Like, oh, there's a, Grand, there's a Grand Prix this weekend. Sorry, I'm busy. Yeah, we're all the same. <laughs> yeah, which, so I totally connect with that. And that means that I feel like I have a better understanding of what the audience is wanting to hear. Because yeah. I am that audience. You know, I'm not, I'm not a data guy. I'm a Formula One guy who learned to handle data. But I was always interested in the history. So I, I knew a great deal about history before I ever worked in it as a professional statistician. Um, so uh, I would watch races on a Sunday afternoon, yell at the television, why haven't they said this? Why haven't they said that? And then eventually, 10 minutes later, they might say it. And people would say to me, you should get a job doing that. Why don't you do yeah. that? You're always way ahead of them. And, of course, I thought, mm, well, who, who, who do we know in the world who has a career doing that? That's just not yeah. a job. It doesn't exist. And then eventually, eventually I, I, I took a bit of a punt and thought, I wonder if you could actually make it a job. And um, uh, what happened was I had an American girlfriend. I live in America now. And yeah. the, the, the origin of that was I needed a job which allowed me freedom of movement. You know, I couldn't be uh, in a desk job. Uh, so I cold called Speed Channel, who were then the US TV broadcaster for F1. That's nice. a voicemail on the, mess, on the, uh, on the, on the um, answer phone of the producer. Must have been something incredible. I don't know what I said. <laughs> but I said, it was something along the lines of, I'd like to do stats for you next season. This is, the, yeah. this is after Suzuka 02. So this is right after okay. the end of the 02 season's yeah. finished. About three days later, he called me back to my complete surprise. I was convinced wow. I was never going to hear from him. He called me back and we had a conversation and I said, you know, this is the sort of thing I would like to do and I think I can do. And he said, could you provide an example of what you can do? Sure. Uh, wow. He said, yeah, could you, could you get it to me like tomorrow? Sure. No problem. <laughs> Put the phone down. I thought, I have no idea what Ooh. the hell I'm going to do here. I'm just yeah. agreeing to something. I don't know what standard he's expecting. I don't yeah. even know what format he wants it. Does he want a Word file? Does he want an Excel file? Yeah, Does he want a nice shiny PDF <laughs> file? I didn't even know this. You know, I was like, I've got 24 hours to come up with this. Um, so I had to kind of ad lib everything as much as anything. I had to lean on my own knowledge. So I threw something together and sent it to them. And, um, and at the same time, I said, could you send me what you're currently using? And they faxed it to me, which gives you a real idea of how long ago we're talking. Wow. <laughs> they got a fax. <laughs> I see the fax in a minute. <laughs> no, this is the kind of stuff you see in a museum now. So I got this fax through. And what I went, I went through everything that they had, and I, and I basically marked it like a teacher. I, I oh. looked at the and said, oh, oh this, this uh, incorrect, con missing context, uh, no, wrong year here. Uh, wow. This, this wrong chassis shown for this one. Um, and faxed it back to them. An hour later nice. with all the and there you go. And, and then, then eventually there was a few more months of calling in the off season and eventually it got around to like February 03, a month before Melbourne. And yeah. they hired me on next to no money at all. And I think yeah. they hired me as much as anything to get me to stop calling. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and that was it. It was, uh, there's no money in it, but almost no money. Like, yeah. Not enough to really survive on. But as far as I was concerned, Hey, no problem. I'm 22. I don't have any dependencies. Yeah. I'm getting paid to watch a Formula One race. How fantastic is this? And, and, he, then came, and then came the horror of thinking, oh my God, I've actually got to do this for real now. Like this is yeah. going on the air. What if I don't know what I'm talking about at all and I'm a complete fraud? So you had <laughs> you had that going on as well. But eventually I, I modeled through and, and I'm still getting away with it two decades later. No, look, you're clearly, okay, I'm going to give you a little round of applause. It was a lovely, lovely story. Because it's like, it's, uh, it's nice to hear people working in their dream jobs, right? Um, and 
one of the things that's kind of very apparent with anyone who works in F1 is like closed mouths don't get fed. And it's always seems like people have kind of gone out and asked for things and positioned themselves in places where it would be, you know, they would be able to kind of get into the industry that uh, are able to do so. Um, and at this point, were you traveling and watching, like, were you straight away going to races and traveling with, with this company or was this like based in an office at this point? No, at, at that point, they, they weren't traveling themselves. They were broadcasting from their TV studio, which is in Charlotte, okay. North Carolina. Okay. And um, initially, I didn't even ask about traveling because I knew yeah. I wasn't on the, on, that wasn't on the <laughs> tape. On the, yeah. But, um, and at that point, this is a funny, funny part of it, 15 years I've been a Formula One fan, I'd never been to a Grand Prix. I'd, oh. never, once gone, I'd never once been to a racetrack. I'd never heard, I don't think I'd ever heard a Formula One car actually run in person. Yeah, so I got all this knowledge and and basically blagged it down the telephone. That I, <laughs> that I was, I actually, I think I won them over because I told a story about how Watkins Glen had a, there was a, there was a big bump on the entry to the right hander at the end of the back straight Watkins Glen in the late nineteen sixties before they reprofiled okay. in nineteen seventy one, which gave the impression that I was way older than I actually was, <laughs> and that was partly a plant because I thought. If I was them, I wouldn't hire a 22-year-old to do a job with this amount of importance to get yeah. everything right. So I wanted them to think I was older than I was. And then when eventually they met me, um, <laughs> Frank Wilson, who was the guy in charge, came, yeah. to, came out to meet me in the, in the car park to bring me into the building. And he said, I got, I said, years later he told me, I got this close to saying, hey, kid, where is your dad? <laughs> um, so yeah, that worked. Yeah, um, yeah. So, um, you got to blag it. You got to blag it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and also, I think the you know the, the analogy you gave a closed mouth doesn't get fed. Yeah, that's a perfect analogy because yeah. there was that I had to base not knock on doors so much as kick them down. Yeah, um, and force people to pay attention, which I think probably annoyed a lot of people and gave me a, a reputation, which I felt was slightly unfair as being a bit of a nag, but also at the same time. <laughs> None of the people I worked with when I started are still in F1, and I still am. Yeah. So there's something to be said for that approach. Look, there's definitely something we can definitely attest to in terms of, yeah, you know, you've got to make yourself heard, and you've got to, uh, you know, you've got to put yourself out there as much as possible. And some people aren't going to take to that, you know, and some people are going to feel, you know, um, that you're out of place or that you're maybe doing something above your station. But, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to look after yourself and, and, and chase your own dreams, right? And, and, and to that extent, by the way, I want to say that I haven't, like, completely jumped the shark. I, I Part of the reason I'm on this podcast because I like to it, uh, support independent uh, young journalism and oh. um, not, uh, you know... <laughs> Giving, I want to, I want to be encouraging because I've been in that position of being yeah. on on the up, you know, like trying to trying to really break through. Yeah. And I, yeah, I know it's it's always it's closer than you think, you know. It, it's 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 always like that, and I, I don't like to. Uh, I know I never turn anybody down, you know, because I, really? I, don't, I I'm I'm too I'm sorry I'm far too important. <laughs> I'm I'm hanging out with Martin Brundle. I couldn't possibly. You know, it's yeah, look, like you're a better man than me. Once we make it, I'm no one's getting at me. I'm hanging out with Martin Brundle, bro. Um, That's the way I've changed my name to Shameless Mercenary. Yes, yeah, 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 essentially. Um, but look, um, now you do travel. So, what let's say, what is 
what is what does a race weekend look like for you? Because I know, oh, I guess we could touch on this there, but obviously you were just in you were just in uh, Jeddah, uh, Saudi Arabia, and I know that you were in Bahrain as well. So, what does a race weekend look like when you're at the the, the circuit? I guess how do you work and Look, we're living in a post-COVID world, right? Everyone's working from home who doesn't work in F1 race to race, right? Um, so I guess, what is it um, about being at a circuit? Does is, is it something about being there that kind of helps you to do your job? Or is it something that you could do at home? Or Well, good question. Uh, valid question. Um, and probably we should touch on the other half of my job that we haven't discussed, which is in latter years, yeah. I've now started hosting yes. for paddock club guests and F1 experiences guests at the racetrack. Uh-huh. Um, because you probably noticed that once once I get on a roll, there's no stopping me. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good once they hand me the mic and say, Sean, say something interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so in recent times, it, there's been dovetailing of the stats job with yeah. the presenting job. Um, uh, for years, I actually did production for Speed Channel and NBC. So I'd be in a TV studio in the okay. US for most of the year. Uh, and they'd occasionally let us out for good behavior. Um, <laughs> most notably at the Monaco Grand Prix. That was nice. always the highlight of the year on the NBC schedule because they we actually did production from site in Monte Carlo. Nice. So it was like, a, imagine if you will, <laughs> a week-long holiday with your work friends in Monte Carlo. In Monte- that well, what it was. That it was <laughs> the best thing that you're like, I can't yeah. believe they're paying us to do this. This is I can imagine. And eventually they didn't pay us to do it anymore because they knew <laughs> the production remotely back to Stanford, Connecticut, and we weren't going to Monaco anymore. Yeah. Technology had caught up. There's budget um, cuts, right? Yeah, yeah. But um after after NBC went away and Sky Sports coverage became the the pass through to ESPN. There's no, there's no production in the US anymore. Um, I that then left me a free agent, effectively. I okay. think, well, I've got all this time, but I'm not doing production. Why don't I go and host stuff at the track? I mean, I, I'm used to hosting yeah. events anyway. Um, I was almost, I was going to be on the air in 2018 at NBC had they kept the rights, but then they threw the rights away. They said we're not doing it because uh. F1 TV wanted to launch their uh, streaming service, and we're not competing with that. Um, so I got so close, and it was like, oh, God, are you kidding me? Um, and then and then I got the, the job doing everything with F1 Experiences and Paddock Club and everything, and then COVID right. came along, and then, and then I got wiped out again. Yeah, of course. But the thing that kept me going is what you said, working from home. My job was always remote. It was always, yeah. I can do this from anywhere in the world. As long as I can see what, where the cars are on the racetrack and I can see what yeah. the order is, I can do this job. And that meant that when F1 started up again at Austria in 2020, Everybody came back and said, sure, we still need you. Okay, um, nice. and, and that was, it's, as you can well imagine, a considerable sigh of relief. Yeah, of course. Because, of course. you know, I am not uh, from, um, I, you know, I, I'm not from uh, blue blood and I don't have infinite funds to, to deal with a year-long shutdown. So that yeah, was a considerable no. relief. Um, and then once finally we started to have fans back at the track, they started to say, look, we might need you to come back. Yeah. And now... Now I've been at, now I've been at the last. I mean, starting from Austin, I did Austin, and I did Jeddah last year, Abu Dhabi. Nice, that, that great race in Abu Dhabi, which everybody enjoyed. And there was no controversy. We um, are not talking about Abu Dhabi. <laughs> we're not talking about that. We're not talking home. about it. Everybody went home happy. Uh, yeah. Then Bahrain and Jeddah this year. I'm skipping Melbourne this week, and I'm skipping uh, Imola, and then I'll be doing Miami, Spain, and Monaco. Okay. And, 
Yeah, so, it. so it is, it is, sorry, I didn't really answer your question. What's a weekend look like? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I never got to it. I was just wittering on it. That's okay. Um, I'll tell you what a weekend looks like to me. If I'm at the racetrack, um, it is a balancing, balancing act between basically when the cars are on the track, I'm TV stat guy, stat man. When the cars are in the garage, I become stat man, the host. Okay. So, you know, so it, 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 it wanders between those two things. Friday is a fairly easy day for TV stats because most of the stuff is written and packaged in advance of our broadcast. I don't have to offer anything live. When the cars are on the track and qualifying in the race, I'm operating a service called Virtual Statman, which is where my Twitter and Instagram handles yeah. come from. Um, and that's the broadcasters all log in. And basically, they're met with what is a glorified chat window. Uh, and then I just throw stuff up in that chat window, which is... Um, nice everything they need to know at that moment, such as the Sergio Perez blurb that I gave okay. you earlier. You so throw that up a, instantaneously. Just like an instant messaging chat, I guess, then. Basically, yeah. yeah but, right. we can all, but we can all, they can all communicate with me silently. Yeah. Um, and so if, so if German TV have a certain query, I can answer it for them without anybody else needing to know what it is. But okay. I can also send it simultaneously. I can also send it to everybody nice. because we're all doing the same race and we're all looking at the same TV pictures. So, Invariably, if one network has a request, usually every network needs the answer to that request. Okay, so cool. Even if they haven't thought of it, it's an answer. It'll be good to in have some way relevant. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, you might, if you watch the broadcast, if you were to watch like the Austrian TV broadcasts of that same qualifying session, yeah. you'd have heard those same Perez stats at around about the same time <laughs> you'd have heard them in the Sky stat, okay. in the Sky broadcast. Um, but uh, yeah, we're ultimately we're all watching the same race, and again, it comes down to that reputational thing. Like, well, we we, we want Sean here; he's kind of our guy. He's the guy we trust yeah. to give us this stuff. So, you just mentioned there. Well, I think I actually mentioned it, but you obviously you actually. There's one thing I just wanted to ask you. I guess with uh, like you said, there was a shutdown, and then there was no fans, and then fans are coming back now. Are you noticing a different energy with fans now F1 is back? Um, or like, a, are you noticing a different demographic to the one that was maybe pre-COVID? Uh, or is it, I guess, is it the same? In I guess, because obviously they are, it's a paddock club, right? So I guess maybe it's like a smaller kind of, but I guess you're in and around the circuit. So um, do you notice anything, I guess, on the ground? Or is it, or or is it just been exaggerated and it's all online and but actually at the race, you know, the demographic is is all still the same kind of as it was before. No, there's definitely a change. Yeah. Um, I I have noticed that the average age has has dropped appreciably. Really, I used to think for for many years I would see the the F one demographic demographic getting grayer. Uh, I think yeah. well. It's, it's nice that we have all these people here, but it's the same people. And, yeah. you know, these people are not going to be here 50 years from now. Who is, who's the next generation of F1 fans? And that was a constant problem, especially when Bernie Ecclestone would say, I'm not after the young kids. They've got no money. I want the 70-year-old yeah. and afford a Rolex. Which, as a promoter, if you're just looking at the bottom line, I can kind of understand. But mm. it's not very forward-looking in terms of, well, what are we going to do 25 years from now? Yeah, exactly. You know, I know we can ring all these people out from month to Sundays, but what about a generation from now? Where's that coming from? And yeah. in the US last year, I, I did uh, just walking around during the, the, the fans pit lane walkabout. 
yeah. just for fun because it's kind of like to soak it up. It's like all this because being around the fans is great because all so excited. It's like, of course. you know, they've been waiting for this all year and finally, <laughs> yeah. And especially post COVID because we'd all I couldn't do anything. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and it was noticeable to me. I was like, wow, there's a lot of young people here. Like, I'm not, it would always be that I was the youngest guy in the room, it always felt like. And now, there's people here half my age. There's little kids here, you know, and they're, yeah. wear, and they're wearing Verstappen hats and Lewis hats and, you know, Gasly hats and McLaren jackets. And, like, they, it's not like we haven't all come here to see Ferrari. We haven't all come here. We're not all here to see Hamilton. Yeah. We, we're here because we support a range of a range of the grid. Yeah. So that is a paradigm shift from where we were even three, three years ago, I would say. It, it's changed that rapidly. Yeah. Um, nice. it, it was start, the, 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 there was the, the green shoots of change in 2019. Yeah. By the time we came back post COVID, it was like, wow, okay, this is this whole new ball game. We've got little kids here and young families, and wow, this is like a new audience. Yeah. And I guess that can be attributed to a big part of that, I guess, is, is drive to survive. Um, and the effect that that had, I think. It, there was a season before COVID, right? And then, but then it did come out basically during lockdown. And I think there was two. There was two seasons before. Yeah. Well, the, the pandemic started. Yeah, yeah. 2018, 2019. 2018, 2019, exactly. And then, yeah, and then the twenty twenty season. Um, I guess you're in America. Um, America is obviously the target market for F1 right now, I guess, in terms of, uh, you know, the races that we're seeing Miami coming up later this year, obviously Las Vegas has just been announced, uh, the, the growth of the sport in terms of viewership, uh, and obviously, uh, attendance at Cota last year was like a record attendance, I believe. Um, yeah, 400,000 apparently. I yeah. Think. That record attendance stuff, take that with a pinch of salt. I mean, we used to have races okay. at the Nordschleife, which was 14 miles long. So you could get 400,000 people around the first mile of that track. So Yeah. Uh, but, okay. but even if it isn't a record, it was still, it was jammed. It, yeah. I've, never seen it, I've never seen anything like it at Cozy. So as someone who's lived, I know you're from the UK, but you're living in America and have done for, for a while. What's it like, I guess, seeing that shift? Because it feels as if, from the outside looking in, it feels as if F1 is becoming uh, a sport that people follow in its own right. In, in, obviously, it's not at the heights of NFL or basketball, baseball, whatever, but it really does feel like it's a sport that is gaining a lot of credibility in, in the US and a lot of fans in the US, which it probably just, I don't think it's seen before. Would that be correct? Correct. At least yeah. in my in my lifetime, in my in, in not in my lifetime necessarily, but in the amount of time I have spent in the US, and I've been yeah. coming here regularly since the start of the year two thousand. Okay. So twenty two years. Um, it's completely different. Uh, um, in what I moved way? here for I moved here full time in 07, Yeah. And I worked in the sport before that. So when people, if I met people, they say, "What do you do?" I, I work in Formula One. What's that? They would say. Um, it's, is that racing? Yes. Is that NASCAR? No. Is that what Danica Patrick races in? No. Um, uh, okay. 
Um, and then sometimes they might say, oh, that's Monaco Grand Prix, right? Yes, very good. Yeah, I used <laughs> yeah, to watch yeah. that in the 70s. Um, or they'd say, that's that the one with Ferrari in it? Yes. Okay, yeah. Okay, that, that's that's as, usually about as far advanced as the conversation would go. Yeah. Um, and I knew that there wasn't much I, there wasn't much I could add because they just didn't know anything about the subject. Um, unless, of course, I was at a motoring convention of, or some event, in which case... Everybody who was a Formula One fan was a hardcore fan. They knew every single driver, every single team, every single racetrack. They could tell you everything that's happened for the last 10 years because being a Formula One fan in the US was 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 a, a heavy lift. And, yeah. and if you were an F1 fan, you knew the whole thing. There was no armchair fan, no casual fan. You were either yeah. a massive fan or you knew nothing There's at all. Like no in-between, basically. No in-between. And that meant that you had this great specialist audience here but no other audience. And a specialist audience doesn't sustain a sport in terms of its ma- you know, maxing the revenue. It's the casual yeah. audience you've got to pull in. And that's where we were, that's, that's where we've seen a change. We've now got, there's obviously more big, big fans, yeah. thanks to Drive to Survive. But we've also got this, we started to get this middle ground of, yeah, I, I watch most races, or I watch a lot of the races, um, or I watch some of the races, yeah. you know, where that didn't exist before. Nice. And, and I can tell when I meet people now and I say I work in Formula One, finally, and my ego yells hallelujah, they go, <laughs> oh, wow, that's cool. Yeah. Oh, my God, you work in Formula One? Like, wow, I've only been doing this 20 years and finally somebody's... Finally, finally yeah. they're recognizing the greatness. But look, yeah, sometimes, exactly. yeah. sometimes it takes a while, brother. Um, they, uh, one, I didn't realize, I guess... Lewis is really popular. Let me know. Let me put it in a different way. The way Lewis is treated in America is vastly different to the way that he's treated and perceived here, I I feel, as in... um, And probably because he's obviously, in one way, he's a lot more comfortable over there. He spends a lot of time in America. He has a lot of friends in America. um, And I think, you know, he probably just prefers living in America to, to England. I don't blame him. I doubt you could either. Um, but uh, uh, it does feel as if uh, part of if part of the uh, maybe some of the growth as well. Could you say that? I guess the growth of Hamilton and his becoming a personality in his own right and kind of doing the things that he's doing with the fashion and everything. Um, it kind of feels like if anyone knows anyone in Formula One, they would. They would know Lewis in in America. Um, yeah, yeah, Verstappen, but particularly Verstappen. Yeah, I guess. But uh, I guess so. And I guess with with that, um, as Hamilton, um, if Hamilton was to leave at the end of his contract next year, I guess who 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 are the ones who are I guess set to take over that? mantle of of most popular obviously max is undoubtedly extremely popular at the moment um i guess you know charles maybe george like i guess it, it do you do you do you envision someone or do you think it'll just be kind of shared out between the rest of them well um it, it it's not possible to replace lewis hamilton yeah. because he he has become a personality that has transcended the sport and a good analogy would be when David Beckham came to the US to play the LA Galaxy in 2007. 
Yeah. Because when he did that, and I and I moved the same month. It was weird. We both moved to the US the same month, and we both moved to this part of the world. So it, I felt, I felt for the first time in my life, I felt a kinship with this millionaire football. <laughs> I kind of know where we're coming from. We're in the same part of the world, yeah. you know. Uh, but the, yeah, that's where the similarities ended. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, is after after that happened, if I spoke to somebody here about what they would call soccer, yeah, they would say. Oh yeah, David Beckham, right? Of course. And that's as much as they might be able to tell me about Major League Soccer, the league yeah. that's in this country. They might not know a single team. They can tell me David Beckham, he plays now. Yeah. And that's what Lewis Hamilton was to for F one in this country. Like yeah. if I said F one, oh yeah, Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw him in like the gossip magazine and stuff like that. Yeah. Or like he'd be on extra, like they're talking about so you know, Lewis Hamilton's hanging out with Kanye West or Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd become like a like an entertainment icon yes which transcends just a standard racing driver yeah um so he was big in terms of just getting formula one recognized as existing yeah but i i would say the overall growth of the sport is more to be shared out among the sports protagonists not just lewis yeah Um, like he's not just he's not pulling this whole show single-handedly anymore although he's obviously at the very forefront he yeah, is the, he is he is the biggest draw um, with Verstappen second. Verstappen is firmly second biggest. Yeah. Like, Verstappen does not approach Lewis Hamilton's popularity. Um, but the thing is now, Hamilton is now receiving the recognition he deserves for what his ability actually is, as opposed yeah. to just being known for being famous in some way. Okay, so um, it's like a different kind of appreciation now than, than maybe yes, what it was exactly. three or four years ago. Right, like so, this guy is an amazing driver, but they like it's like if you said like Tony Hawk's an amazing skateboarder. Yeah, oh, really. Well, what what's your favorite Tony Hawk move? I have no idea. I've just heard he's a great skateboarder. <laughs> yeah, like that Tony Hawk, by the way, who lives nearby me here. So hi, Tony. Hi, Tony. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, sure, sure, he tunes in. Um, yeah, yeah, big I'll, fan. I'll, right, I'll, I'll I'll send him. I'll throw a paper airplane to his yeah. car. Tune in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but with Lewis, it was a case of, oh, yeah, he's an amazing dr- race car driver, right? But now it's a case of, did you see that drive you had in Brazil? Yeah. Now you get that. So yeah. now it's like, no, not only have I heard he's a great driver, I have seen he's a great driver. Yeah. That's probably, you know, we're on to stage two of the brand recognition now. Now it's like, I can speak to people and they'll say, oh, my God, I watched the Brazilian Grand Prix. He, was in, he wasn't he amazing. Yeah, yeah, um, and I, or I, in, in the case of Abu Dhabi, they, they might say, "Oh, it's completely rocked." I mean, bloody hell! You know, they yeah, they, yeah. Never, they have these varying opinions where there's there's nuance in the opinion as opposed to just merely, "Oh, yes, Lewis Hamilton, he's a race car driver." Yeah, and I think that's I think that's cool, and I think like so often Formula One has felt like almost like a dirty little secret that I would have, that I I watched it on my own. I would, you know, none of my friends really watched it. Um, you talk to people about it. No one's interested in it. And then, um, you know, one, I guess, finding the online community and, you know, there's such a, a growing online community. And I guess, you know, that's a, rec- that's a, a factor of younger fans coming into the sport as well and, and this, growing, this growing community. But, uh everyone is 
so knowledgeable. And I, and I think that's one of the things where people, like you said, where people talk about the Drive to Survive fans, like these guys are going back, they're watching Drive to Survive, but then they're going back and they're watching old seasons. They're, they're educating themselves on past happenings to the point where, like you said, they are knowledgeable about characters. And, you know, I think that's why possibly we've seen the ratings like the uh, Rotten Tomato for Drive to Survive kind of going down and down because I think people are kind of realising that some of the stories aren't, like it's good, but some of the stories they realise, oh, yeah, why are Esteban Ocon and Yuki Tsunoda in an episode together? Like, that doesn't make sense and those types of things. But I think it's cool. Um, you mentioned Lewis. Um, actually, no, I want to talk about America and I guess Americanization quickly. Three races next year. I did see something that you tweeted, which was quite cool, the thread that you did about um, America and the races and I guess the Eurocentric kind of position that a lot of people have taken against, um, against the races in America. I guess as somebody who works in the sport and obviously just as someone who loves the sport, why is it if someone said to you why is it why is it important for f1 to break america why should america one country have three races right in in those if we're going to put it that coarsely and you know whatever but why should america have three races i guess in your eyes what is it about america that is a important to f1 but b also i guess feasible for it to have three races and possibly more in the future well i've said ad infinitum that any sports league any entertainment figure singers bands actors actresses what have you they always want to break america yeah that's the holy grail and you're not really global unless you've got unless you capture the u.s market from the moment the beatles touched down in New York in 64 to play the Ed Sullivan show. It was understood. Even the Beatles had to come to America and really, really break America. They had to be here. They had to play shows nationwide. They really, really had to work at it. And the reason is, even the Beatles had to do it, is because there are so many thousands upon thousands of things to do here, particularly within the realms of sports and entertainment. In Formula One's case, it has to compete with the NFL, the NBA, with hockey, with Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball teams play 162 games a season. They're playing almost every day yeah. between the start of April and the end of October. It's every crazy. day. It's crazy. Intersperse that with NBA going you know, four times a week and then the NFL playing 16 games a year. You've got all of that. Then you haven't got, then you've got Major League Soccer. Then you've yeah. got the other ones, IndyCar and NASCAR. They're going most weekends of the year. All that's going on here in a standard week in this country. And Formula One need, did not understand why America wasn't interested in Formula One. Yeah, yeah. There was no race in the US for yeah. almost the entire duration of the 1990s. And then again, between 2007 and 2012. So it was always presented to Europeans as Americans don't get Formula One. Well, what it actually was, was Formula One didn't get America. Yeah. They didn't get that, no, no, you've got to make a concerted effort. And you know... The irony, the irony is, is the person who's in Formula One who understood the importance of the U.S. market and actually made an effort to capture it was Lewis Hamilton. 
Yeah. Because he's now he's now the guy who's on the front page, you know, he's on the cover of GQ and all that. Yeah. You know, he made an effort in the US because he wanted that recognition. You know, yeah. now, you know, now he's hanging out on, you know, he's on the Ellen show and whatever whatever. He's, he's big time. Thing. Yeah. So he understood it. Yeah. And and then when Liberty Media came along, who are Americans, clearly they understood it. They didn't yeah. need it spelled out to them. They could they could see the dollar signs and thinking, what are we doing? Why are we not pushing yeah. the US model? We need to get this. What we have now with Drive to Survive and, and the audience that that's created is possibly a once-in-a-generation opportunity to capture that market Yeah. in a way that if it is not done now, it may, it may just go back into the doldrums because yeah. that audience might go back out the door and yeah. go to a Major League Baseball game or the NFL or IndyCar or NASCAR or any of the other things that I've explained. You know? yeah. So it's really important to go for the jugular now. Um, the U.S., I think it, the European audience doesn't realize just how massive the U.S. is geographically. It is yeah, a gigantic. Like niche. it's 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 so. I think someone was saying that like driving from one of the races, I can't remember which one, to the other is like a thousand kilometers or was that twelve hundred twelve hundred miles. Yeah. So it's miles. Like oh wow! I didn't even. Yeah. I didn't want to say miles in case it was ridiculous. <laughs> so I said kilometers. But yeah, it's 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 fucking ridiculous, right? Like it's it's huge. Right. So. The nation is gigantic, and there are huge, huge distances between these three races, between Miami, which is in southeastern Florida, Austin, which is kind of a dead center in the southernmost court, in the southernmost sort of bit of Texas, yeah. right, right close to the border with Mexico, and then in the southwest um, in Las Vegas. Although we say southwest, it's actually a lot further northwest than yeah. Austin is. Um, so now suddenly you've got an you, you know, for the first time since 1980, well, since 1991, uh, 15 million people in Los Angeles have a race that they can drive to. Now, yeah. it's a four-hour drive from LA, but it's still drivable. Drivable. Whereas previously, it was no bueno. There was no yeah. way you could do that. So now is the opportunity to capture that audience who is already captivated by the Drive to Survive thing and showed up in tens of thousands at Cota. Yeah. Um, so it's it's the ideal opportunity. And I think the, the naysayers who feel that this is an Americanization of the sport are not realizing that what happened was is not the the sport is not being Americanized, it's that it was de-Americanized at, at one point in the past. Because yeah. in the 70s, in the 70s we had Long Beach Grand Prix, the US Grand Prix at Watkins Glen, and the US Grand Prix at Watkins Glen was the big money race of the year. Used to be, you know, fifty thousand dollars to the race winner. That was the race you wanted to win. That's the big cash prize in that one. Yeah. So you had these two races. Then you also had Mario Andretti was racing. Uh, Pretty, there was Peter Revson racing. There was the Penske team, the Parnelli team, um, even the Shadow team, US owned. So there was all those entrants. The Ford Cosworth. The Cosworth built the engine with Ford's money from Detroit, Michigan, which powered nearly every car except Ferrari. And yeah. most of them were on Goodyear tires, and Goodyear originated out of Akron, Ohio. So it was massively Americanized in the 1970s. And people look back on that and say, that was a golden era for the sport. If you've ever seen the Ron Howard film, Rush. Yeah, I have. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, Teddy Mayer, who is the team manager for James Hunt at McLaren, yeah. is American. Yeah, so, you know, that's an American team manager. <laughs> and as I just, I just mentioned, all of these entrants and all of these races, they all featured in 1976 yeah and people look back on that and say that's one of the best seasons in formula one history no one ever says oh my god it's too american yeah that's never ever been said so a lot of it is is kind of fear of the unknown fear of it's going to turn into wwe which it's yeah. not it's not going to do that well um, i guess 
there is a worry, isn't there? Let's not to play. I don't want to say devil's advocate, but let's say, for example, there there is there were concerns at the end of last season that the show overtook sporting integrity, and that's not saying that deliberate decisions were made for the sake of the show. Some may say they were, but let's at best they weren't right. So there is a worry that you have a show which is, let's say, generous with the storylines and then you have a product which uh, seemed to be affected by, you know, the want to make it as entertaining as possible for, you know, for this storyline of the title fight. So I guess there is a worry that, is this a continuing trend of that, I guess? Are we just going to see more of the entertainment taking over the the sporting integrity now i guess you you could say that that might not happen because they've you know put in place the things from last season that to try and rectify some of the, the issues that kind of came up but i guess well, do you I, see I, that I, point I of would, view yeah i i do see that point of view um and and after what happened in abu dhabi which no matter how you slice it was a debacle yeah. The fact that the, it all ended yeah, in a big fight. That, and, and, and yeah, it, it was a debacle. Even if you're a Max Verstappen fan or a Lewis Hamilton fan, it ended shambolically. Yeah. And the fact that it all ended up in the steward's office uh, after midnight, I, I went for dinner. Here you go. Here's me, here's me <laughs> casually name dropping some stuff here. I went for yeah. dinner in the Yaz Hotel okay. after that race. That, that big hotel. So the, the big hotel, circuit. yeah. So I was out there having dinner with uh, the boss of F1 Experiences and we were talking over some contract stuff and blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. We finished up and um, I walked back. I had to walk back because my car was the other side of the racetrack. So I had to go back around where the paddock was and everything. Yeah. This is after midnight. So the yachts are all going, <laughs> you know, because it's, it's always like party, that. right? Oh, yeah. It's always like that in Abu Dhabi. That's yeah. the bit you don't see on TV. It's just always <laughs> lasers and everything. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. this is past midnight. Pete, everyone's still in the paddock. They're all still in the paddock because they're waiting for the stewards to come out. What, what's happening? What's not happening? Is yeah. Michael Massey coming out? What We need to talk to him. Massey wasn't talking, obviously. Of course. Um, so all that was going on, and it was just a shambolic end to what was, in my opinion, was the best championship season we've ever had in Formula 1. And I went into that race saying, whoever wins today, if Lewis wins this, it's his greatest championship ever yeah. because he's been pushed to the absolute limit and come out on top. And if Max wins it, it's an outstanding achievement because I think he's beaten Lewis at the, Lewis on top of his game. Like Lewis has driven a hundred and one percent out of that car, and for Max to beat him, it took everything it took. It, yeah. have, it wasn't a cruise for either of them. And then instead, we were talking about this controversy, which was a real shame. And I understand why people would be thinking, "Uh oh, is that a sign of how things are going to be?" Especially if you watch Drive to Survive, which does take a great deal of artistic license. Now, full yeah. disclosure, I have only ever watched one episode of Drive to Survive, the very first one involving the Haas team, the Gunter yeah. Steiner episode. Um, and I don't need to watch any more episodes of Drive to Survive because I realise it's not a show for me. It's yeah. not a show that's made for people who watch every race for the last 35 yeah. years. It's made to attract people who have no interest in Formula 1 and think, ah, this is a lot more interesting of a sport than yeah. I thought it was. I always and say it's that, had yeah. it's had that effect yeah. with the massive increase in, in viewership. So it, it's achieved that purpose but if i was if i had binge watched drive to survive and then watched what happened in abu dhabi i would be led to think that this is turning into wrestling this yeah. is like you're, you're creating things that shouldn't be here 
Yeah. When in actual fact, I, I haven't done, I haven't been to watch Drive to Survive. <laughs> I've just been watching what's happening on the racetrack. Yeah. And by and large, I'd be thinking, yeah, that's how it normally goes. Uh, except the Abu Dhabi incident aside, which I still think, I still think there's more to that story. We haven't heard the whole thing. I think we need to wait for memoirs to be written 25 years I, from now. I, I, look, Sean, I'm telling you now, okay? Um, I know you said, just said a lot of stuff went normal, but I, there's a lot of things that were just very strange. Brazil, I guess. I would, I would kind of put Brazil on the stewarding decision table. But look, we're not going to talk about that. Let's move on. You see, you, you, you're getting me antsy. Um, no, I like it. the passion. I like the passion. That means you care. That means I, people are invested in this. We want that. We are. We are. And that's why it's not nice when it's... Uh, and I think that's the thing. You have a large... And I guess we can get on to last season and a couple of things. There's a, a lot of distrust, I guess, with a lot of fans, especially Lewis fans, right? There's a lot of distrust with the sport because of last season, right? And no matter, you know, the process of the report and, you know, what they've done, it, you know, I don't think that has been totally mended yet. Um, but it would be remiss of me to have you here and thank you for coming on without, I guess, going back to why you are here in the first place and how we came to talk to each other. So for listeners, um, I was being a loudmouth on Twitter and of the day that uh, our favourite photographer, Jamie Price, uh, mentioned... Um, I don't even know how it even came up but um, was talking about sometimes it's difficult to take pictures of Lewis uh, because he puts his um, hand in front of his face sometimes and he makes it difficult for him, uh, for photographers to take photos of Lewis, right? And um, which wasn't a popular post Uh, and then uh, Sean, you replied I guess intonating that, you know, uh, Lewis, long story short, Lewis should be grateful for photographers who are there. And, you know, if, you know, uh, if they were to stop taking pictures of him, his, is relevancy the right word? I don't want to like put words in your, because I can't remember the actual, I should probably should have got the actual tweet up. But essentially, yeah, I, I feel like I probably should have done as well. Yeah, like, but essentially it was if, if, you know, you had a story about someone who used to go to nightclubs and paparazzi would take pictures of them. And then oh, if they, were, if they yes. were to stop taking pictures of, of them, they warned him. They're like, if you had to stop taking pictures of you, or they stopped taking pictures of him and then that re- reduced that person's relevancy, obviously applying it to Lewis. There was some backlash to that. I was not too impressed with that take as I, I guess for me, and I guess a lot of others, it felt as if um, there, it felt as if Lewis, you know, we always see the pictures of Lewis coming into the paddock and we see, you know, we've seen him drive to survive. You know, he's he's trying to have a conversation outside on the bench. He can't because it's too loud. And there's a, a scene where a photographer literally falls, uh, a cameraman falls over trying to, you know, follow Lewis around the paddock. And he just feels as if, as he is, the person that he is, uh, there is, uh, there seemed to be a, um, a, a, a lack of uh, w- allowing Lewis to assert boundaries in the paddock, and that 
essentially he should just accept it as fair game. And I guess we're very protective of stuff like that because it just, it can be quite, it can bring kind of emotions of when sometimes, especially like the black fans, we're unable to assert boundaries and we're kind of told to uh, to do things which make us uncomfortable, I guess. And, and that brought back memories of that. Now, I queried you a madness and you said, no, that's not what it is. And, you know, I'd love to come on your podcast to talk about it. Normally when someone does that, who's a lot bigger, they're taking the piss and they're like, oh, come on your little blog podcast to talk about it. But fair play to your DM, Jim. And I was like, uh, if you're not taking the piss then, would you, would you like I to come would on? I would not take the piss out of you like that. That would <laughs> um, be inappropriate. I got to remember, like I said at the start, yeah. you know, I started from the bottom as well and came through the ranks. So I've been at every level in this yeah. F1 uh, carousel. So I know like any, any young independent podcasters, I'm all for supporting them. So yeah, cool. no, I would never, I would never, I would never be so flippant as to say that. <laughs> I, I appreciate really, I, I, I really, I hate people who are like that. So, you know, <laughs> you cool. think they're high and they're too high and mighty to, yeah. oh, well, who are you? Sort of thing. That's, yeah. Um, so I guess I'll offer you your rebuttal. Um, I know we had a quick chat about it off air. Um, so I guess from the F1 paddock point of view, right? Why is it that Lewis shouldn't put his hand over his face? Like if he, if he's saying that he, he doesn't want his picture taken and he, you know, he's given you paddock shots and he's given you, you know, you see him walking around. He, he's always followed by, you know, 10, 15 camera people at least. So why why is it bad that Lewis puts his hand over his face? Well, before I answer that part, I want yeah. to add some caveats to this, which is firstly, Lewis might have just been having a bad day, in which case it might, if it's a one-off, okay, fine. Yeah. Um, it, my, uh, my response was not actually necessarily critical of Lewis. It was just referring to an incident that involved Andrew Ridley from from Wham, who <laughs> in the eighties in the in the eighties basically made his celebrity out of being filmed coming out of nightclubs with a load of birds on his arm. And but he was extremely un, uncooperative with the photographers. Yeah. Who were basically the the reason why he was famous at that point, because George Michael was the talent driving the band. Yeah. So one night he came out of the nightclub and all the photographers put their cameras down. And instantly Andrew Ridley realized, oh shit, if I if they stop taking my picture, I am no longer relevant. So that was the that was the actual um, the the point I was making in the response. Um, further to that, um, I've seen drivers be uncooperative with photographers in the past. Um, Michael Schumacher, I've seen get into arguments with photographers, not arguments, but just you know stern words yeah. um, in the paddock. And and the thing is, is if you, if you're right, if the, if the lens is right in your face, like right up against your nose, I get it. That's kind of like get out of my personal space, dude. This is just mm. not like there's a limit. Um, but if it's a reasonable distance away, um, we're all in the paddock. But there are accredited photographers taking pictures of us all in the paddock. I can get my picture taken just as readily as Lewis could get his take, picture taken. I might not. There might not be as much demand for them, but nonetheless, <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is accepted that yeah. my picture and indeed my likeness might, may appear on television. Yeah, now, that is that is the that's the um, the quid pro quo that we have of being in the sport. And I understand if 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 it's just a one off thing, it's like just you know give him a break. You might be having a bad day. You know what's the worst that can happen? If it becomes a prolonged thing, 
then it becomes a case of, dude, where are we here? We're, this is this is the thing that has made you a global icon. You know, just be a little bit more cooperative with these photographers. You know, they're not they're not sticking telephoto lenses into the balcony of your house. You know, they're not filming you out to lunch on on your day off. It's, it's yeah. we're here for the purpose of working. So if if you're a little bit more cooperative with them, um, it, it will just make everything a little bit better. Added to which, you are right in saying that if they stopped taking his picture now, it wouldn't make a great deal of difference because somebody else will anyway. Yeah. And he's so famous that he is practically bigger than the sport. Yeah. So he will still retain relevance. But you got to think about what got him there in the first place. And that was coming up through the ranks when he was a nobody. Uh, it was people in the Formula One paddock taking pictures of him and, and showing interest in him, which elevated his star to the point where he could transcend the sport. So that's the bit where I'm getting at, where I say, look, don't act like you're too big for your boots now. It'd be a bit like me being disparaging about your podcast because I was in Formula One now. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't need to be on your podcast anymore. You know, oh, I don't no. need you people. I, but that's the thing. And, and the thing is, it may be that Lewis didn't have that in mind. And he might have just been having a crap day and just like, <laughs> just, just come back tomorrow, lads. I'm just not feeling yeah. completely fine. No problem. Um, but I, I don't want him to be the victim of you know another witch hunt basically which he is prime for that because he is the man of the sport he is you know and particularly coming from coming from great britain where english tabloid british tabloid media particularly english tabloid media english, yeah. are so good at building people up at knocking them down again and he's been in the ringer several times i remember, remember when he was when he was a rookie in 07 he was absolutely you know, initially they were building him up. This guy's unbelievable. He's basically yeah. what he's what he's what he's to F one. He is uh, what Tiger Woods was to golf. He's going to yeah. completely turn this sport on its head. And then, of course, he didn't win the championship. And now suddenly he's useless. What can you say? Yeah, you know, typical. You know, so he knows he he's been he's had that, and I totally appreciate that. Um, but I'm just wary that he doesn't he doesn't come across as being sullen or aloof or anything like yeah. that because a lot of people do perceive him as that. Uh, and, he, and he can be, but he can also be a, a incredibly kind. And I think he's been very brave with a lot of the stuff that he's done, like standing I, on the podium with with the you know slogans on his t shirt and things like yeah. that. And, you know, I, I think he, he's he, he's I, I'm looking out for him. I just don't want him to 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 get a bad reputation for that stuff. Um, you know, I, I guess look, you're closer to it than 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 a lot of us are, right? So. I, I understand, I guess, where you're coming from. I guess all I would say is that, you know, I think Lewis should be afforded the room to be, uh, if he wants to be moody and if he wants to, if he wants to be, you know, uh, if he wants to be sad, if he wants to avoid eye contact, you know, we've seen behavior a lot worse from a lot of other drivers in, in different circumstances, which isn't scrutinized as much. And I guess, you know, for, for the amount of footage that people get of Lewis, I guess it feels as if, look, he's not doing that all day. You, you've got, you know, the whole weekend, if he's doing that, at I, that and point, I, by the way, I, by the way, am a contributor. I have yeah. cell phone pic video of Lewis. Yeah, look, wasn't trust me. So, I, I would I'd be there with my phone out if I was next to Lewis. I would, yes! but but I also I also want to add I also want to add I've been in Lewis's company when the phone's been off. 
I, I like I've sat in the same room as him while he's just been messing messing around on his laptop, and I felt it's not cool to take a picture of him yeah, right now. It's I, like exactly. personal space. And I think you know, I, I think of course no one is perfect, and of course there's probably times where maybe he could be a bit more open, but obviously. Sorry, just closing my door. Sorry, um, <laughs> uh, but obviously, I just feel like I think maybe the photographers. I think instead of like, I think coming online and, and blasting him for that felt a little bit. I just felt a bit unnecessary, but that's his job, and he wants you know he lives and breathes by the shots he gets to, to send off to to his clients. So I guess you know that's that. Um, but that was off the back of, and I guess we've spoken about Americanization of Formula One. One of the things that occurred at uh, the Circuit of the Americas, uh, Texas uh, Grand Prix, uh, one of the more, uh, probably the most, one of the most talked about non-car related incidents uh, of the year um, was Martin's good walk. I think it might have been the first one since was it the first one? I think it might have been the first one it was. since yeah, I think it was. COVID had ended, right? So it's a big deal. We're all looking forward to it. I have always said, like growing up watching Formula One, I actually think I watched the first one. So like I've grown up literally my whole F1 life watching this grid walk. I love it. Um <laughs> there's an incident with Meg the Stallion um, who I looking back on it now I think that, you know she's on the grid it's her first time there she probably doesn't know who the fuck Martin Brundle is respectfully like she you know um, <laughs> I don't think I don't think she did <laughs> um, so and he's he's there I don't, th- I don't think he I don't think Martin knew who she was like you know <laughs> we've got Martin on that and he's like uh, Megan Megan the Stallion uh, the freestyle rapper can you give us a rap and she's like uh, I'm not going to give you a rap today um and then it would have been, wouldn't it have been fantastic if she turned back to him and said, "Now you talk us round a lap of the Circuit of the Americas, Martin." Yeah, it's good. <laughs> like, uh, well, how much are you paying for these raps, Martin? Um, so you know, there's there's that, and then obviously, you know, her bodyguard then steps in, and there's you know a bit of nastiness there, and you know, um, and Martin's famous, you know, bodyguard's uh, uh, like, "You can't do that," and uh, Martin's like, "Yes." I can because I did or something along those lines, which is, which is, uh, Martin at his best. But, um, <laughs> there was commentary about that. And, uh, one of the comments that you made, which we also agreed with, disagreed with, sorry, was that, um, you said something along the lines of when these people are in our, not these people, so when, um, when there's people in, in our house, they, they kind of need to respect it. And, you know, if they don't, then they can find another sport essentially and i guess just to give you what i thought which was probably and now we've spoken probably not what you're talking about but what i thought it was about was obviously like meg herself and 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 i guess celebrities who have been invited by sponsorship by the sport to be on the grid um to you know to do those types of things to raise you know the sport in in the eyes of you know people who follow them and stuff and it just felt very like again i guess f1 is a traveling circus very close-knit right 
So it felt very like us and them. We don't want people in that circle. And, it, and, and I think it added, it felt like it added to a very nasty, I think, reaction to what happened, to what was a lighthearted incident. And a lot of the focus was on Meg herself, who I don't think did anything wrong. I think her bouncer, or not bouncer, I think her bodyguard or whoever worked with her was probably a bit rash and didn't know what was going on. And that's probably on F1 for not informing him and maybe them for not knowing about what they were getting into. But I guess, again, now you're here, appreciate you're here. What did you mean by that? <laughs> and and, well, and I guess, could you, and look, could you understand why, why that comment might have been perceived the way it was perceived? Yes, I can. And um, I should say for the purposes of people who can't see me, I, I am white. <laughs> um, and therefore, I do not live in a world where I am ca- cast under eternal suspicion. You know, everything yeah. is, as a white male, everything is catered to me. And if I think the pushback, uh, people misunderstanding my point about this is bad, imagine what it's like, you know, dealing with stuff on a daily basis. You know, I yeah. can't, I can't imagine. I don't have to. So great. I do understand, I do understand where that veil of suspicion can come from. Like, what, what are you saying, dude? Like, yeah. are you saying people like her shouldn't be on the grid? Is that what you're saying? Which wasn't what I was saying. Of course, in fact, in fact, I wasn't even talking about her. I was yeah. actually saying she was really, she seemed perfectly pleasant. It was all these mandarins hanging around who just acting like the big I am. Yeah. And why I was offended by that is millions of F1 fans would give their left leg for yeah. a starting grid for starting grid access, and they would understand that if they're on the grid, you might get filmed. You might even end up on camera. You might even have a microphone shoved under your nose for some, yeah. for some random reason. It's it's just part of the game. So when they come basically bulldozing stuff out the way so Megan the Stallion can walk down the grid, that's the bit I objected to. Like, oh, no, 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 dude. You yeah. don't come in here and tell us how we do our business. You do it the way we do it. Um, and I understand that she, she wasn't really – to do with that, it was, yeah. she was there. She said she was there on a sponsored thing, um, and I actually think she was perfectly. She seemed perfectly pleasant to me. A bit almost bemused by the situation. Yeah, um, and she probably she if she could have thought of something, I'm sure she probably would have wrapped something. But it was just like in the moment, she didn't think. Yeah, about I don't. I don't think she would have said. I'm sorry. She wouldn't have said talk to my agent. She would have just <laughs> said, oh, "Well, that's an odd question. No one's asked me that one before." Yeah. Um, you know, it was all very um, fr- from her perspective. It was all perfectly fine. It was just I didn't appreciate the way that the handlers were basically bulldozing members of my sport out of the way in, in, in our event. Yeah. You know, that's the thing that rubbed me the wrong way. And I felt offended on behalf of all the people who, and me included, who have spent their entire lives never being on the starting grid. Like, why are these people allowed on the grid? And then they start pushing Brundle around and pushing people out the way as though they are in some way important. We don't care about these people. We might care about Megan Thee Stallion because she has done something to warrant the attention. Yeah. But I don't care about who these people are. And they suddenly think that they're so important they can push people around. That's that, That's what actually offended me. Yeah. And look, I guess... Yeah, you know they should know, you know not to do that. And I hopefully there's better communication with F1 and you know and whoever they kind of allow on the grid as to what 
they will be getting themselves into. Um, and I guess just quickly before that, what I would say is, I guess it was just a funny question, I guess, to ask, like I say, to ask someone to start rapping on, on the grid. Just to- Honestly, that, that, that question reflected that Martin didn't know who she was yeah. and she didn't know who Martin was. Yeah, and it was just, I'm sure what it was, was having, having worked in television most of my adult life, yeah. I, I can assure you it went something along the lines of our pit, the pit producer at Sky would have keyed Martin's headset and said, Megan the Stallion's coming your way. And he would have gone, that's fantastic. I don't know who she yeah. is. The one in the red dress. The one, that's her. Go to her. Go, go. So he would have gone to her and he probably was a, and, and who is she? She's yeah. a rapper. She's a really famous rapper. So that's all that would have been in his head. And he's on a live mic in a live situation. Exactly. So what, what do you want me to ask her? Um, can you give us a rap? And that's how we would have arrived at that situation. Yeah. Where you've got a person who is not familiar with her discography. You know, okay, she's a rapper and she's wearing the dress. Okay, I'll go over and think of something to ask her. You know, what was he going to like? So um, what do you think of Austin Airport? It was a bit cramped, wasn't it? You know, he wasn't going to say that. Um <laughs> It was just the first thing that came into his head of in course. the middle of a live situation. And I can assure you, when you're live, it's quite pressured. It's I, thinking of something to say when you're like, I don't know who this person is. Yeah. It's one thing if he's talking to Jackie Stewart, but quite another if you're talking to somebody like, I know nothing about this person at all. They could be the greatest person on earth, and I don't know anything about them. So it, Martin was kind of exposed in that situation. And I do have some sympathy <laughs> when he, he asked a relatively banal question. but but. You know, yeah. there'd be people in the world I could meet. There could be, I could meet some very, very famous Instagram influencer or something like that. I'd be like, I have no idea who you are. Dude. Yeah. So, uh, have, you checked, have you checked your Instagram page today? Yeah. Or asking some <laughs> stupid question like that, you know, because I couldn't think of anything else to ask him. Yeah. Well, look, uh, luckily that's all in the past now. And uh, I look, I do appreciate you coming around. I know you're a man very busy, so I really appreciate you. I'll give you another round of applause. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, and by the way, speaking of Lewis Hamilton, I yeah. want to I want to offer this this nugget of hope okay. after what has been a testing start to the 2022 World Championship. Shoot, and that is, and this I haven't had the chance to say this to to guests yet, but I really want to. I said if if Lewis wins the championship back, it's like Muhammad Ali winning the Rumble in the Jungle against George Foreman. There you go. Now it's like, there you go. Now it's like. If he'd won the championship last year, it would have been one thing. Like if that if that if that safety car hadn't happened, it would have been like, oh well, Lewis wins again. Great championship, probably his best. But you know, yeah. now now there's a now, now he's almost the underdog. Now it's like, okay, can he win it back from being the underdog? And if he does, then his 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 place in the sporting elite is confirmed because it's like, oh oh, he did that. At age thirty-seven, he won the title back. Yeah, what an incredible story it would be! It would be that one of the great stories in Formula One history to win the title back at that age after what happened would be. Yeah, that, that's, that's the analogy I pull. I said it's Muhammad Ali winning the title back well, against George Floyd. Personally, I would prefer he would not have to win it back. But you're right. <laughs> if if it does happen, it is going to be a madness, especially after these first two races. So look, fingers crossed. But Sean, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate that, bro. And have a lovely, My pleasure. have a lovely time watching your Australian Grand Prix this weekend. Yeah, it's going to be good to be back in Australia, where where COVID began. Yeah, this is the beginning. Crazy, of Crazy, right? Everyone just bowling around, no masks. Uh, yeah, it's crazy to think that that environment 
happened. Yeah, you know? and I and, and I'd skipped that race. I thought I won't go, I won't do Australia this year because I'm going to so many others. Yeah. <laughs> no, no one's going to any races, Sean. No. <laughs> so. What did you guys think? I thought that was a cool conversation, man. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, nice guy. Nice convo. Um, now, look, you've come to the end of the podcast. So if you've made it all this way, thank you so much. Look, make sure you're giving a like and a video. Subscribe to the channel. Five-star reviews. All of them things there. Please. But big up yourselves, guys. Every single week, you lot show out for us and you support us. I'm so grateful to have you guys as listeners. I hope you enjoyed that interview. We will now be going to weekly podcasts. You'll never want for Quick Stop F1 again. So in between races, even when there's no F1, we will be podding. So you, you know, every Tuesday, there will be a new podcast. Wherever you listen to podcasts and obviously on YouTube as well. So... Thank you very much for listening, for watching, wherever you're watching. Subscribe, like, review. Done. Have a wonderful evening. We need some kind of outro. I actually thought of someone something the other day. But I can't remember now. So I'm just going to go, bye, bye. Black voices are making an impact this month and beyond. Keep listening to discover one of our favorite shows, courtesy of ACAST Recommends. What's going on, everybody? This is Tristan Mack Wilds, one third of Guys Next Door. And if you are hearing my voice, maybe you should be listening to Guys Next Door. If you ever wanted to get into the mindset of the young black millennial man, all of the things that we go through, love, sex, relationships, financials, technology, mental health, and everything that lies in between, this show is for you. Now, I don't know what you guys are doing. I know you guys are probably listening to a really, really nice podcast, but make sure you guys go subscribe right now to Guys Next Door, and we'll see you guys in the neighborhood. Peace. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.